there are moments in life that are so special that you have to capture them and save them forever. They are one of those once-in-a-lifetime events, like your baby's first steps, the first time you bring your family pet home, or your daughter's first dance performance. With iPhone 15 Pro, more storage means you don't have to delete anything that can become a lasting memory one day. And it's important to be able to share these moments with family members who weren't there to see them in person. Store more, share more. Connect with iPhone 15 Pro on AT&T. Get iPhone 15 Pro on AT&T and get an iPad and Apple Watch for 99 cents per month each. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Limited time offer. Requires 0% APR 36-month agreement on each. Well-qualified customers. Other terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash iPhone for details. This Father's Day, the Home Depot has the perfect gift to help dad be everything he can be. Because your dad is more than just a dad. He's the groundskeeper of the yard, the perfecter of the patio, and the cleaner of the clippings. This Father's Day, power dad's doing with the convenience and gas-like power of Milwaukee cordless outdoor tools from the Home Depot. Plus, get up to $150 off select Milwaukee tools. Find the perfect Father's Day gift at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. Shop for Father's Day now in stores or online at homedepot.com. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Thinking of popping the question? Diamonds Direct has an offer you can't miss. This month only, buy a natural diamond engagement ring of 1 carat plus and receive a free natural 1 carat diamond tennis bracelet valued at $2,000. Imagine giving her the ring of her dreams and her wedding gift all at once. No one provides education, selection, and value like Diamonds Direct. Your chance to get a free tennis bracelet from your friends at Diamonds Direct won't last long. Details at DiamondsDirect.com. Your new home journey starts at Fisher Homes, where everything is red, white, and new. Explore exclusive summer savings and start your journey by selecting your ideal home site and your dream community. Choose from a variety of expertly designed floor plans and bring your style to life at the Lifestyle Design Center. Are you looking for a quick move-in ready home instead? Fisher Homes has options for those, too. Fill out a form to connect with a new home advisor at fisherhomes.com to get started today before the sun sets on summer savings. Brought to you by Toyota. Let's go places. Welcome to Forward Thinking. Hey there and welcome to Forward Thinking, the podcast that looks at the future and says, am I right or am I wrong? I'm Jonathan Strickland. I'm Lauren Vogelbaum. And I'm Joe McCormick. And today we're going to be continuing our conversation on moral bioenhancements. This is going to be part two of a two-part series. So if you haven't heard the first episode, you should go back, listen to that one first so you know what we're talking about in this one. Mm -hmm. And without further ado, here begins episode the second. So the whole concept of moral bioenhancement has lots and lots and lots of problems, some of which we kind of touched on. Uh-huh. Uh, either through our tone or content <laughs> so uh, far. Yeah, and, well, and, and I, and I want to give a shout out real quick to a really great review of the literature on moral bioenhancements that I was reading uh, by Jonas Specker and colleagues called The Ethical Desirability of Moral Bioenhancement, A Review of Reasons. <laughs> and, and a lot of, a lot of the things that I'm saying are, are things that, um, that, that, that Specker and her colleagues, um, pulled, pulled together from, just tons and tons and tons of of uh, amazing thinkers on the subject. So just wanted to put that out there. Go read that paper if you'd like a very, very thorough breakdown. But uh, big problems. Yeah. Uh, who, who who decides what's moral? That's a big one. Yeah. Uh, who Who's the moral authority? I don't feel like I'm qualified. <laughs> well, I mean, I'll step up. So <laughs> I understand that is a concern, but I also think that this is the same problem we already face in our moral decision making sure. today. Uh, so 
you've got to make moral decisions in your life mm-hmm. and you're either trying to think through ethical reasoning yourself and consider consequences and trying to make moral decisions on your own or maybe in a lot of cases you're sort of offloading some of that thinking to people you would consider a moral authority. Uh, sure, sure. Like, like a, like a religion that you ascribe to. Is ascribe a word? Let's say it is. Yes. Um, or, uh, or, 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 or like, like, like the, the theory of objectivism, like, like some kind of theory like that. Sure. Or even just to a person. I mean, there are mm-hmm. people that, who live among us that we often think of as kind of moral geniuses. Mr. Rogers would have been a moral authority. Sure. Yeah. You sure. look at somebody and say, I think that person knows what's up when when it comes to how we should act mm-hmm. and uh, I'll I'll follow their lead because it sounds like they know they know what they're talking about. So we already do this. We either make moral decisions on our own or we defer to a moral authority. So so we're already faced with the problem of who decides what is and isn't moral. Right. Uh, the- this would just be adding on another step to that. Do you also have a device or therapy further guiding you toward that conclusion? Yeah, and and right now, even if you have an authority who is proclaiming what is and isn't moral, every individual has the freedom to agree or disagree with that and to act upon that in whatever way he or she sees fit. Mm-hmm. So though in some cases there might be like consequences sure. if there are like laws. Absolutely. Or there could be there could be very severe consequences and that would probably prevent the vast majority of people from acting out on those thoughts even if they held them, right? Yeah. Uh some people might still act out on them and then suffer those consequences. That history is filled with those stories. Uh, every story that involves the word martyr probably has some element of that in it, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, in some cases, you might agree with the person who is labeled as martyr. In some cases, you might not. But in either case, it's someone who's, who, whose stance is very different from that of the authority figure. Mm-hmm. The case with moral bioenhancements is you would have no choice but to agree with whatever the authority figure had determined as moral because the bioenhancement is – Mandating that. Is it's making a, that decision for you. Right. Ah, well, so that's a different question entirely than I would say because there we're talking about whether we could or should force other people to undergo moral enhancement. When it, I, is, is that not inherently immoral? <laughs> I don't know. That's a good question. I mean, so I was considering people who would willingly choose to undergo a moral enhancement. Whereas, so imagine you could you could elect for a free surgery that would make you a better person. Would you do it? I, I think the problem is that the people who would elect for that are the ones that we least need <laughs> to undergo the procedure. <laughs> well, we could all be better. I mean, I, I think a, a lot of us – we're familiar with this. We wish we were better people in a way. I know I yeah. wish I was sure, a better person. Sure, there are but, times when I think about how I could be a better guy than I am. Yeah, I yeah. Think, I'm like, oh, man, like I, I let my friends down and like yeah. I wish that I hadn't done that. You I, know? And yeah. I agree with that. But I think the people that uh, when when you start talking about moral bioenhancements and you start envisioning the the sort of problems that it's meant to correct, the people who are uh, perhaps the most accountable for said problems seem to be – the least likely to elect to undergo a procedure. Right. They might say, I don't have a problem. I'm right. fine how I am. Yeah, exactly. You're, everyone else has the problem. I'm <laughs> sitting pretty. I'm like, well, the reason you're sitting pretty is because of the oppression you're, <laughs> you are dealing out to everyone else. And, well, I mean, see, that's the, I, I would argue, I don't think, first of all, I don't think moral bioenhancements being mandated, being a, a a compelled thing. Everyone has to have it. I don't think that's a great idea. However, I think that's the only way it would work. Hmm. Like I don't, I don't think moral bioenhancements are a good idea. Generally speaking, in that I think there are too many problems that over out that outweigh the benefits. Uh, and they, the benefits only exist if it works the way we want it to work, as opposed to some perversion of that vision. Well, I feel like we're getting a, a little ahead of ourselves here then because we, we should talk more about what these problems are. Sure. Uh, well, I mean, one we've kind of identified, the yeah. idea that you have to uh, have to follow a moral authority's vision of what is and isn't moral. Mm-hmm. And it may be that your own – view of morality doesn't match up to that person's morality. Mm-hmm. It may be that morality, our sense of morality changes over time. Uh, yeah. Well, uh, the th- theories like, uh, like relativism say that, that morality is, is an inherently personal thing that, that it, that, that, you know, my morality cannot be 
your morality, Joe, and that that neither of our morality is going to be Knowles or Jonathan's. Um, yeah, and, I mean, and on on a society wide thing, uh, that's that's definitely a, a question. You've also got um, you've also got uh, moral pluralism, which which says that um, that that some aspects of morality are are going to counter themselves. That if if you're acting completely morally in one way, it's a trolley problem essentially. Right. Um, that that you're you're never because of the way that the world works, you're you're never going to make a perfect decision. Right. There's not there's not a black and white binary world out there where everything is either moral or not moral. There are issues where you are you might be faced with a complicated problem that has no good solution. Right. But you still have to make a decision. Mm-hmm. And and that becomes problematic in a world where you say, well, we've got a a, a procedure that's going to force people to act in a quote unquote moral way because that means someone has to make that Either someone has to make that uh, decision ahead of time about what is the moral outcome of those decisions or whatever guiding factors push you to one choice over another. Mm-hmm. And, and then, like you said, you've, you've got the problem of, uh, of what if our ideas about morality change over time? Because they do continually. Uh, it, it's, it's, I'm sure, I'm positive that what was considered good and moral 600 years ago is not the exact same thing. <laughs> That we mm-hmm. consider today, and, and that's 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 a long term kind of concept. But uh-huh. like, if these if these changes, if if these treatments are irreversible, then uh, who who makes who makes the decision to start changing them down the line as uh-huh. as needed? Well, I mean, yes, I think that's an interesting thing to consider. But I also think that sort of falls into the same thing I was talking about earlier, where this is already a problem we're faced with uh, just having moral brains. So we have moral faculties that are informed by our sort of natural predispositions of whatever genetic element there is and then also by our education and socialization, which happen at certain periods in time. We get sort of moral rules implanted in us. You can see this in changes between generations where the older generation has been taught a certain thing about what's moral and then you know their kids might not agree with them about mm-hmm. that. Uh, so in a way, I'd say this is also already a a thing that we face, we're talking again just about adding coercion well, to it. Well, except that I would argue a person can also come to the conclusion – like they can change their view. They can view. come to a new conclusion. Mm-hmm. Right. They can yeah. change their view but on of what course, is and isn't moral. So could a bioenhancement. I mean if, it, you, Depending if you upon therapy, the implementation, yeah. yeah. And, and depending upon the, the desires of whomever – whatever entity is – actually administering them, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So it, it gets more complicated. It's not like it's something that would be decided on an individual basis, or at least not the individual who's actually having the experience. It would be decided upon from an authoritative perspective. Right. So could you have the country vote on, <laughs> well, no, because you on already what have... everybody's brain should be forced to think? I mean, be- that's before pretty... Before the bioenhancements are... Right. Because once the bioenhancements are in, then you have the question... It's almost like our, our discussion on e-voting. How do you know that the the true desires of the person are being reflected in yeah. the outcome. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, well he, here's another problem. This is hypothetical. Yeah. <laughs> would, would it actually be possible? We sort of talked about this earlier, but mm-hmm. I, I think is it possible from a technological point of view to have something like this? And I think the answer could be both yes and no, as in we know there's a brain basis for morality that you can tamper with it with electrodes or drugs or things like that. Uh, but morality also appears to be this complex cross-brain region phenomenon, meaning we can't yet foresee a way to control outcomes with precision. Mm-hmm. And the question is, could we ever do that? Mm-hmm. Uh, for, for example, with, with serotonin, serotonin is not just a let's all chill out brain chemical. It also has a hand in how we sleep, our memory encoding and recall, our sexual behavior and performance, how we process pain, our appetite, how we process visual information. It has a hand in all of these. And so uh, just like tossing SSRIs at the entire population wouldn't really be moral. It's a, it's a new kid for morbid kind of option. Yeah. Oh, right, yeah. yeah and it's, it's really too bad that we aren't like the uh, crusty doll in that treehouse of horrors. Oh, here's the problem. Someone switch. switched this doll to, to evil. evil. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> but see, that, that brings up another thing that we'll talk about in a minute. 
what is the Krusty doll's life like after he gets switched to nice? Right. It's not good, is it? No. Nope. No, he lives a life of, of humble subservience. Yep, yep. Uh, but anyway, so we'll get to that in a minute. But another practical problem I want to point out is, okay, so we, we've got this problem with precision in the brain. We mm-hmm. don't know exactly where to put the microelectrodes to make mm. you stop kicking small children. Sure. Um, <laughs> Man, so, I, don't, I hope they never do. So we could study this to try to figure it out, but scientific ethics make it difficult to conduct experiments like this because – okay, so imagine you're trying to get institutional approval to perform brain surgery or introduce psychoactive drug regimens on people in order to see what makes them spend less time leaving jerky YouTube comments. That just seems like – you're going to run into experimental ethics problems yeah. there. That's yeah. what college students are for. <laughs> <laughs> just elect to go and be a subject in one of those testing procedures and they get a, like 20 bucks at the end of it and everything's fine. Oh, uh, or, or even even if you took a population of, of, uh, of, of criminals, of, mm-hmm. of people who had murdered people, uh, you would still have really have a really hard time, rightfully so, getting getting permission from from any kind of uh, uh, good board of humans to, to carry out these kinds of experiments, because anytime that you that you do something to someone against their will, when they are uh, when they technically do not have a disease. Disease, like a like a lack of moral virtue uh-huh. is not a disease. Yeah, this is another problem because then you're going to have a conflict between the ethics of the experiment and scientific rigor because right. ideally what you'd want is a randomized sample mm-hmm. to do your experiments on. You'd have a big problem if, okay, so, so to in order to do this most ethically, we'd have to have people who volunteered to want to be a part of this experiment. Uh, but that would introduce a self-selection bias into the sample of people you're performing it on, which mm-hmm. is going to change the outcome. Uh, so, yeah, you, there, there's all kinds of trouble in trying to do experiments on this. And, and bringing up the issue of, you know, who do you who do you perform these experiments on? Uh, it's not just an academic question. I mean, history is filled with uh, examples of some very ethically questionable, if not downright unethical experimental uh, projects that subjected people without their knowledge to pretty intense and extreme uh, uh, experiments, mm-hmm. you know, in the name of science and justified in some way or another at the time. But t- from today's perspective, from our moral perspective today, we would say, yeah, that is all kinds of wrong. Mm-hmm. So it is a very tricky subject. Another complication I want to introduce, what if moral cognition isn't as local as it once looked? Or what if there is no such thing as moral cognition? I'm not going to go into the whole argument, but there there's another paper uh, in Social Neuroscience from 2012 called Where in the Brain is Morality? Everywhere and Maybe Nowhere by Leanne Young and James Dungan. They answer the question in the title. You don't even have to read the rest of the paper. Uh, no, it's it, – so uh, essentially they ask the questions of is there really a uniquely moral part of the brain mm-hmm. or is this just a label we're applying to aspects of the emotional brain and the social brain? Mm. And uh, and so they look for it and they say, yeah, th- there are some regions that have been implicated, like some of the stuff we talked about earlier, mm. uh, I think uh, ventromedial prefrontal cortex and stuff like that. But th- it's also just a very complicated picture and nobody's identified this moral brain substrate. The, right. There, there's nothing there. Um, so we may be – there may be some folly in our approach here if we're looking for where is the moral brain. There might not be a moral brain. Morality might be more like uh, an emergent behavioral right. phenomenon that mm-hmm. we're describing that comes from some emotions and some social tendencies. Sure. And we don't uh, – you know, if in fact that turns out to be the case – that makes it even more complicated to come up with a moral bioenhancement that would actually be effective. Right, because then what you'd actually have to be modifying is you can't pinpoint morality in the brain. You'd have to be modifying emotions right. in the brain. And now you're and, really – like yeah. if you weren't already getting people a little squicky about the idea of, of tweaking morality, tweaking emotions, then you're thinking, wow, it sounds like uh, – 
you know, you're you're creating just a little dial on me that has a very narrow spectrum of the human exper- experience, and everything else is off limits. Yeah, and this this actually, I would say that this conundrum is something we might expect from what we've already seen with the overlap between uh, moral behavior and like SSRIs, which mm-hmm. do mess with emotions. Mm-hmm. Uh, so here's one more complication I want to introduce technologically: the plastic and adaptive adult brain. Yeah. This is a thing we've discovered is that the, the adult brain is more adaptable than we thought. Mm-hmm. and there, Which is wonderful. Yeah. So there are examples of the adult brain adapting to problems. Forms of neural injury can, for example, be offset by ad hoc adaptations using the rest of the brain. One example is people with memory loss coming up with cognitive strategies to offset memory deficit. Yeah. It's kind of like if uh, you work in a really small office and everyone has a very specific job and someone has to call out sick at the last minute and then everyone else has to figure out how can we continue to do our work plus carry the load of this person who is not there mm-hmm. even though they specialize in something that we do not ourselves typically handle. Right. And you might not be able to exactly cover the, that person's duties but you can sort of do it. Yes. Uh, and another one would be uh, sense loss. People who have lost one sense like sight can sometimes compensate with adapted cognition based on different senses. Mm-hmm. Uh, daredevil. <laughs> right. I was just going to say the same thing, but I decided I've been too geeky for this episode, so I held back. <laughs> but here's the question I thought about. What if we apply this to moral bioenhancement? So you go in and you do the equivalent, the positive equivalent of applying a brain lesion that introduces modified sociopathy. You put in some kind of modification that makes people very nice to each other. Other parts of your brain are still going to want to be selfish so what if your brain adapts to the change mm-hmm. and finds a way to circumvent it and revert to baseline jerkiness? Yeah, uh, life uh, finds a way. Right. In this or case, jer- jerkiness. Jer- yeah, jerk faces find a way. Find a way. Yeah, so in this case, we, it's not that even the person in question is making a conscious effort to be selfish. It's the brain itself is adapting to these changes mm-hmm. and saying this is not the way things are supposed to work. So other parts of the brain start uh, behaving in a slightly different way in order to kind of get us close to that previous condition before moral bioenhancement as you possibly can get. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, one of the other arguments that I saw was um, should we – should we really be just concentrating on treating actual mental disorders before we go like whole hog on something that isn't a disorder, like a, like moral disorders? Right. And and my response to this is that the the problem with that line of questioning is it starts to argue for a zero-sum kind of perspective yeah. on the subject, saying that if you focus on one, you cannot by necessity focus on another – And uh, my argument would be that you could certainly have these areas of research all working, perhaps even in parallel, cooperatively with one another. Uh, And but it is it is a good question. If you could say, like, well, we have some very real problems that we do not understand how to tackle in a way that is beyond just treating some symptoms. Uh, Why are we worried about something for people who have, quote unquote, healthy brains uh, shouldn't we focus on the the people who are really struggling with these diseases, injuries, disorders, and worry about that first? Jonathan, I think I agree with your first criticism. I mean, I, I am wary of this type of question in general that's just like, well, what about – uh, you know, the whataboutism of like, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. there's another problem though. Yeah. Uh, so it's like, I can well, co- it doesn't co- remove the first problem. Yeah, right? But exactly. both problems can exist at the same time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Totally. So I, I think that this is a good question if you can point to factors that make it clear that we really are going to need to choose between one or the other. Mm-hmm. But if you can't point to factors that make it clear that it's one or the other, then I, I don't think this question uh, necessarily matters. Falls water, yeah. Well, how about another one then? Uh, sure. Um, okay, in a world where some people are artificially moral, uh, would would the regular people take advantage of them? <laughs> yes, I think so. <laughs> Absolutely. If, if if you know that every time you come by your neighbor's house and say, "Hey, can I borrow twenty bucks?" they're going to say yes. 
there's going to be a lot of people banging on that neighbor's door until that neighbor doesn't have any $20 bills left. Which, which brings us back to, uh, uh, something that we, that we covered earlier in the show where, uh, where, could regular people be allowed to exist right. in, in a world where anyone has this this altruistic treatment? So we wouldn't just be getting rid of murderers. We'd be getting rid of people who just you know want to have basic uh, non harmful pleasure driven lives. Right. Yeah. Let's let's say we've got let's say we've got someone <laughs> middle class hedonism. Yeah. Yeah. Even hedonism. <laughs> We don't even need the hedonism part, but sure. Let's say let's just say let's take it. Uh, let's make a. A, a hypothetical person and this person leads a you know typical life they've got work they've got some outside interests more or less they keep to themselves they don't really socialize with their neighbors they don't know their neighbors names or anything they're not mean to their neighbors they uh, aren't thoughtless toward them but they don't go out of their way to know them either uh, sure but they really love uh, uh, spawn camping in in an online shooter game Sure. It's just, it's just how, it's how they release their tension. Yeah, right. Uh, it's a legitimate strategy. I'll remind you. But, uh, it's, <laughs> yeah, so it, so they will take advantage of something that is not explicitly against the rules. Mm-hmm. So therefore, they're not really doing anything wrong, although their pleasure is coming at the expense of other people's enjoyment. Or even, even if you want to take that away, let's just say that they happen to notice that a neighbor is having a hard time for whatever reason, but they don't feel any need to help. Mm-hmm. They're not making it worse. They're not judging the neighbor. They're just not helping. You could argue, well, this approach would mean that people would feel better about going out and helping others. It's not even that they are taking advantage of other people. Mm-hmm. It's that they are not ignoring them. They're mm-hmm. not. They're not discounting someone else's misfortune or, or doing something uh, like in, like in the spawn camping example. That, that's that's earnestly harmless, like right. in the grand scheme of the universe. Right. It is irritating as all. Get out. I, I say it's a legitimate strategy. That's merely a quote from a from a video series. I don't actually spawn camp. Well, I so I want to introduce a modification on this. Okay. That a lot of I, I think a lot of actually very destructive behavior in the world, and I'm sure y'all would probably agree, is not even explicitly criminal behavior. Mm-hmm. Not like violent behavior. For example, there are systemically destructive phenomena in the world in which many people participate, but nobody personally breaks a law or does anything violent to anybody else. One example I think might be some practices on Wall Street sure. that you could point to that's, okay, so you have thousands of people who collectively participate in a system that you could probably predict is going to lead to a bubble that's going to burst, that's going to massively devalue national, probably global economy, lead to millions of people being out of work. You know, So there's a system that is pretty much guaranteed to cause misery. People are participating in the system without breaking any laws. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, so, and, and so what do you do about this? I mean, this in one way is regular behavior. It's not necessarily – Deviant. They're not, you know, beating people up in the street. Not breaking any laws. What would you think about this kind of thing? If you've just, you're just part of a system that has perverse outcomes. Well, and this goes back to those arguments the philosophers were making at the top of the show, right? The idea that we focus so much on short term as opposed to long term. The, they would argue using moral bioenhancements, you would start to think more in long term and that you could still have that system in place. You could completely have an investment system in place, but that the behaviors of everyone involved would be more about trying to invest and go for a long term mm-hmm. return on that investment. Uh, sure, sure. Or, or to, to take it back to the to the online shooter example, uh, if, you know, uh, you, you, you could you could potentially argue that that someone who has been spawn camped just one too many times uh, uh, develops some kind of some kind of heart uh, problem and, <laughs> and and eventually that that type of, of repetitive emotional stress leads to a heart attack. Uh, yeah, that's a 
fair. It's I'm not sure fair is the right word for it, but thank you. Uh, I, but but, but I no, no. I absorbed so many bullets in Overwatch. <laughs> I'm just ready for someone to <laughs> someone to to feel my pain. <laughs> uh, no, but 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 that but that uh, that that same kind of uh, drop in the ocean sort of sort of behavior mm-hmm. that, that you that mm-hmm. you could make an argue uh, argument for in many different types of situations. I, I think could could certainly be applied that. Uh, but yes, that that it is that we need a mandatory universal moral upgrade. On, on the flip side of that, though, is there any evidence to suggest that selfish behavior can sometimes be of benefit to a species? Let's well, talk to Ayn Rand. Hey, l- I mean, let, let's go back <laughs> to the uh, let's go back to the Wall Street analogy. Uh-huh. Now, I think it's quite easy to see how if you know you look at like uh, what has happened in various depressions and in, in financial markets throughout history. Right. It's obvious how certain behaviors in in financial markets and in uh, on Wall Street can lead to pain and suffering around the world. Sure. Every single every single major bubble burst, you yeah. would argue, like you just look at the the outcome of that once right. the bubble bursts and you and you think, wow, how could we have let this happen? But then you'll again you'll also get plenty of defenders who say, look, yeah, you know, sometimes things go wrong, but this is what drives our economy. We've got investment and in even maybe sort of like risky investment. It generates tons of wealth. It creates jobs. Uh, and if there is something to what people like that are saying, and this isn't the only case where it would apply, you could say that, okay, sometimes people might engage in risky, selfish behavior that could cause harm to others, and you might look at it as morally dubious, but it also has lots of positive outcomes that we depend on. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, which, which brings me to, uh, to another question. Could, could we nice our society to death? Um, and, and allow me to, to bring in a, uh, an animal, an animal tale, uh, about this one. Okay. And yet not a fable. Not a fable. No, because this is literal, actual biology that's going on out there in the world. Um, okay. So some spiders actually live in colonies. I'm sorry to break it to you. Um, <laughs> most spiders don't because they're cannibals. Um, but, you know, but, but spider cities of up to like 10,000 spiders, uh, live together in some parts of the world. Hanging out, not eating each other, uh, taking care of each other's eggs, making repairs to the to the entire web, uh, and sharing their food. But um, but but in this specific, but in this specific type of spider, um, every generation that they go through, about twenty one percent of the colonies just die out, just go completely extinct. Mm-hmm. Um, hmm. And and so these these researchers from the University of British Columbia looked into it recently, and they discovered that once the colonies reach a certain size. They essentially share themselves to starvation because the, the the overall web isn't catching enough food to support the entire colony, and they overshare and they all die. Huh. Yep. Yeah. So so there we have an argument saying if we get all if everyone's on the same page, uh, we eventually just it's a Malthusian collapse. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We we everyone ultimately goes extinct because we weren't cold and callous enough to let parts of us go extinct. Yeah. Well, here's another thing. Uh, think about who are some of the, the greatest political leaders in history. Just think of some in your head here. You don't have to say who they are. I bet whoever you've got in mind had to do some really immoral stuff yeah. in yeah. order to achieve goals that ultimately they that we now look back on and say, I'm glad that happened. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, whoever it is, a lot of people might might pick Abraham Lincoln, but it's not like Abraham Lincoln just governed with like a squeaky clean. You know what I mean? Sure, like, right? Yeah. Uh, sure. Or, or whoever you want to pick, leaders tend to have to do some crappy stuff. Yeah. So yeah. e- even the really good ones, e- in mostly. I mean, even if it's yeah, even if it's not a conscious effort to do something crappy, it may be that they have to do something crappy in order to avoid an even more crappy consequence. Exactly. So would we be ha- hamstringing ourselves and sort of preventing greatness and preventing change if we say, well, everybody's always got to be uh, a super goody two shoes all the time? W- what if sometimes we need people? Who tread into immoral waters in order to ultimately take us to a better place? And then there's the the question that's asked in A Clockwork Orange, which is: if you remove a person's ability to make an immoral choice, are they no longer a person? If 
If or, they, or do moral choices matter? Yeah, at I mean, that point? But Clockwork Orange is kind of tricky too, right? Like the American version that was published was published without the twenty-first chapter. Mm-hmm. Uh, so chapters one through twenty, you have Alex, the sociopathic character who does unspeakably awful things. He is not a redeemable character at, at all through the vast majority of the novel, which is why I think American editors demanded the twenty-first chapter be left off. Spoiler alert, he gets redeemed in the 21st chapter. <laughs> so for 20 chapters, he's a terrible person. Even after he's undergone the Ludovico treatment, which gives him this aversion therapy where he feels physically ill every time he wants to uh, perform an act of violence. He still wants to do the ultraviolence. Yeah, he, he just, just can't enjoy it. Yeah, he can't, he can't think about it because it makes him sick, but he still has the desire to do it. He has not changed as a person. Uh-huh. He only changes – in that 21st chapter as a result of maturing, of growing up. So some people have argued that uh, Burgess's approach to that form of morality was a little short-sighted, like a little naive and optimistic, saying that you'll just grow out of being a sociopath and then you'll be fine. Um, and uh, and people said that the, the way that the book ends on chapter 20, where he is, quote-unquote, cured of the Ludovico treatment, it no longer affects him, so he can go back to the person he was at the beginning of the novel, uh, that that raises a very tough question for the audience. Is it better to remove the ability to make these terrible decisions and have a quote-unquote peaceful society, or is it better to allow people to retain their humanity, but the consequence is you've got this unease and unrest and chaos in society. And Burgess's answer eventually was, if you wait around long enough, people grow up and then they stop being total jerk faces. Well, you know, some people do grow up. Some people grow mm-hmm. out of uh, certain types of behaviors. I think I think just rampaging around murdering people all the time doesn't sound like something people usually grow out of. Yeah. But I'm not sure. To be fair, most people who <laughs> do that behavior don't necessarily get started. They don't started. get the chance to continue all that long. Well, they also don't necessarily get started at age 13. Yeah. <laughs> Most of them tend to be, if you look at the grand scheme of criminal psychology, oh, sure. yeah. it's, it tends to be later in life. But at any, the point Hence being... It's fiction that, versus reality. Right. Yeah. Uh, but, but no, but, but, but it is. It is a really uh, interesting uh, moral question of, of whether or not our uh, personal choices and morality are, are part of what make us human right. and, and whether we would be removing an, an integral part of, of the human experience by, by implementing some kind of treatment like this. Would we just become some kind of fleshy robot if we were unable? You know, a robot's, at least in, in theory, only able to act within the parameters of its programming. Yeah. So would we just become robots? Because we would well, have the equivalent of programming. It would just be, here's a list of things you are not allowed to do, and not not just from laws, you physically cannot do them because yeah. of these enhancements. So here's the thing. I don't know if we – maybe we have, but I don't know if we've talked yet in this episode about what is the internal experience of this life. We've talked about sort of the external behavioral outcomes. Of right. It, but what does it feel like to have one of these – modifications performed to your brain. And, and since so, it's hypothetical, it's really exactly, we, but anything yeah. we I'm just, imagine. I'm just saying, trying to imagine it. Mm-hmm. Would it be a case where you really want to do something immoral and you feel the urge to do it, but something prevents you? Right, like your 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 cybernetic it's implant. It's like you can't get it out. Your cybernetic implant makes sure that you can't you know, go, out, go outside and kick mm-hmm. that kid that's been irritating you all day. It's not that you don't want to do it. It's that you physically are unable to do it. Or does it change your fundamental desire? Right. Right. And it that seems harder to imagine. In that case, would you still be you? Right. And you could argue that if it was something that was done from birth, mm-hmm. then it is you. It's mm-hmm. the but it's the only. It's not the you you could have been. Right. Yeah. 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 It's uh, it's you as mandated. Well, and, and, and I and I think that that based on the neurobiological view of 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 what we currently know about how we could implement this kind of treatment, um, I I think I, I think that's more likely actually uh, mm-hmm. that that latter thing where where just our our very personalities would be different hmm. um, more than having like a button in your brain that like prevents the kicking mechanism right. from. 
traveling through your nervous system. Well, right? I mean, I guess here's one thing we could compare it to. I- imagine you're somebody who takes an SSRI for depression or something like that. Mm-hmm. How does that change you? Do, do you like feel depression coming on, but then something stops it? Or do you just, it, it, is it just something that's no longer a feature of your brain in the same way? So, so sort of or, like, have you guys ever had like a really bad headache and then taken some headache medication and you can tell there's still a headache, but you're not feeling the pain anymore? Because that happens with me and migraines mm-hmm. where I'm aware that there is something in my brain that is not right, that it is, it, it would be causing me agony, but the medication I am on prevents that pain sensation. But there's still like it almost feels like a presence, like mm-hmm. almost like it's a physical sure. thing in my head. Huh. Um, I, I I have, if I may share this experience with y'all, uh, uh, taken SSRIs for anxiety and depression, and and for me, the way that it's worked is um, it's it's more like it's sort of like I'll I'll get an idea, um, an, an an anxious or a depressive idea, and uh, and and without the medication, I I've sometimes had the experience of not being able to escape from the idea, kind of mm. have that idea repeat and and get worse and kind of spiral so in my head, um, fi- fixating. Yeah, exactly. Um, and but but with that kind of medication, I've had the experience of of just being able to shut it off, just going like, this is ridiculous, dude. Stop it, mm-hmm. and and having and having that work as opposed to other times when uh, when I have that thought and my brain's just like nope, blur. Yeah, forget about being uh, any sort of productive member of society. You are going to be paralyzed with self doubt yeah. and yeah. fear. This and is just what you're doing for the rest of your day. I'm now. familiar with it. Yeah, yeah, I've uh, been there. And so yeah, so so I mean, I I don't know. Like I, it's it's a very strange thought to to try to imagine. That that kind of thing going over into into moral territory of like of like man like I really want to cut that dude off in traffic but oh, I guess I can just calm down I guess I guess just everything's yeah. going to be fine. It'd be interesting to live in a world where road rage is just a term of something that used to happen, right? Like that's a weird thought, especially yeah. here in Atlanta. <laughs> so so let me ask you guys a question. I think we can wrap up this discussion. It's gone on pretty long and. Uh, we had another section that I think is completely superfluous, so I cut it. But I do have a question for both of you. So, uh-huh. and I'll I'll be happy to answer it too. Your own personal response to the idea of moral bioenhancement. Do you think ultimately it sounds like something that we should absolutely pursue, or do you think the negatives outweigh any positives? What was your personal feeling, Joe? Well, I mean, I think it's very complicated for all the reasons we've talked about mm-hmm. here and probably some other ones we haven't even thought of. Mm-hmm. I, I don't necessarily think that um, – th- I think there's a tendency that a lot of us who have experienced dystopian science fiction have mm-hmm. to want to say anything that sounds kind of creepy – is something that is ultimately like no 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 that you know we we shouldn't even look there and I don't feel like that I don't feel like this is something we shouldn't even look into uh, but I'm I'm certainly not ready to commit to bio uh, moral bio enhancement especially not compulsory moral bio enhancement mm-hmm. um, I don't know voluntary moral bio enhancement that I'm I'm trying to think of what exactly would be the problem with that and nothing's coming to mind it's hard to say without the actual ability to do it right because yeah. we can't we can't observe the results yeah I, I think I, I think the, the the only real risk is uh, having those people being taken advantage of yeah mm-hmm. um I, yeah, I think I think that that compulsory is uh, would would be flat flat out evil. Just that that would be completely so completely immoral. Um, I'm, I'm taking a stance right there. Okay. Uh, and uh, and and I don't know. Like I I think actually uh, allowing the possibility of voluntary moral bioenhancement might range towards evil a little bit too. Mm. I, I feel pretty strongly um, and kind of surprisingly like, like I'm, I'm kind of pro a lot of, of other uh, voluntary brain enhancements. Um, but, but this one, I, I don't know. I just, I have real squeaky feelings about. Okay. Well, uh, let me, let me test you on that a little sure. bit if that's all right. Yeah, totally. All right. So we, we, we have a serial killer okay. who has been caught by police and this is a guy who's murdered 27 people. Uh, he tells the police that he will not stop. Uh, if he is set free, he will do it again. Now, this guy has the several options. He can go to prison for the rest of his life mm-hmm. 
or he can elect to take some proven bioenhancement therapy and we'll just assume optimal conditions here. We've actually shown that it works in sure. some way. Um, There's not a danger of this somehow going wrong. Right. And uh, has uh, so we could put him in prison the rest of his life or we could give him this thing and release him and he could live out his days and never harm anyone again. Do you, you still think that like if it, in, in, a, in, a, in a perfect world where, where the treatment was was not a lobotomy and uh, not the kind of, of aggressive drug therapy um, that that has sometimes been practiced, then then yes, if if the treatment truly was changing just his desire to go kill a whole bunch of people, mm-hmm. then, then then of course that would be beautiful. But, but that's a big if. But that's a big if. That's such a hypothetical thing, and and I and I don't personally envision us figuring out enough about the brain and and enough about um about ourselves to to do that certainly in our lifetimes maybe ever yeah is, mm-hmm. is that too cynical well for, i mean well the I fact mean, I, I like to think that we're capable of everything if, but, except for the fact that human beings also change over time so mm-hmm. as we gain an understanding of how things are we don't necessarily have an understanding of how things will be sure so that's that's another i mean you would think that our scientific understanding would start to outpace other uh, factors because it's not like evolution happens super fast, but that <laughs> yeah. is still a factor. Uh, Lauren, I, sh- I side with you mainly on this. I, I mean, I'm, I, Clockwork Orange is one of my favorite novels of all time, and it's largely because I read the American edition that left off that 21st chapter, which to me huh. makes hmm. it the reader's uh, responsibility to answer the question, which is the the greater evil? Right. Mm-hmm. Which of these these things that come out are the greater evil, the the allowing people who have immoral thoughts and who act upon them to exist or w- removing the ability for a person to make any choice other than the ones that have been mandated by an authority figure, even if that's even if that's a range of behaviors, is that better? And more often than not, I, I side with the that you shouldn't mess with that. At least not too much. I do think, to to Joe, your point, the idea of pursuing it in a way that is a treatment for pathological issues makes sense in, in that it's treating a person who otherwise doesn't have that capability. It's, it's literally – a pathological issue, whether it's from an injury or an illness, condition, whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. And, and, and it's a, a danger to yourself or others kind of situation. Yes. Uh, that kind of uh, situation, I would say that makes sense. I think anything beyond that is at best problematic. Uh, I've also seen some criticisms. I didn't go into it in the notes because I didn't have time to really read and digest all the information. But I've seen critics of the idea of moral bioenhancement say just based upon the way we have scientific progress and technical progress alone would suggest that we would be able to address this in a very piecemeal kind of way, which Mm -hmm. could end up having disastrous consequences where it's like the idea of having that superhuman intelligent machine and you say, hey, I want you to find a solution for world peace and its solution is to kill everybody Mm -hmm. because now there's no way you could have conflict. Uh, that kind of idea that if you were to address one part of morality without being able to affect all of it, you could have some unintended catastrophic consequences. And I think the capacity for things to go wrong is so great that it outweighs the capacity for it to be a benefit to society. Uh, that being said, I would love to see some really progressive, uh, effective means of having people kind of come to uh, a moral enhancement that doesn't involve bioenhancement, whether it's the education or uh, some form of outreach, things like that, so that people have that experience and are able to expand that that small social group to a larger group of people and also expand that short-term gain perspective for a long-term one. Yeah. Another complication on top of all of this is that in the example we gave about, you know, somebody who's been already convicted of many violent crimes, um, you'd also have the problem that people 
often don't just view prison as like preventative. You it's know, it's a punishment. Right. And yeah. so th- that would also be a complication. So imagine somebody has done a bunch of very harmful evil. And now we're saying, well, what we could do with this person is give them a treatment that would mean they'd never do anything like that again. A lot of people would not be satisfied with that. They'd right. say, no, what needs to happen is this person must suffer in response to what they did. It's not – yeah, it, it, this is where you start to – you know, what? how do you view the purpose of prisons? Is it meant to be a punishment? Is it meant to be a center for rehabilitation? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, and the concept of the penitentiary being uh, – being making someone – making someone become penitent. Right. Yeah. yeah, it's in the name. Exactly. Well, that was an amazing conversation about concepts that are pretty heavy. Uh, I appreciate that you guys took the time to have that conversation with me because, yeah. again, like, I love this whole arena of thought. It's fascinating to me. Uh, and it's one that I, I think about a lot. And I would argue that in a lot of ways, forward thinking, being in kind of an optimistic view of what the future might be, a lot of that optimism depends upon the concept of compassion. And if you were to argue that compassion is having a less relevant place, maybe your solution to that issue would be, hey, how about moral bioenhancements? But as we've discussed on here, we're not so con- convinced that would be the best approach, especially not compulsory moral bioenhancements. But I'm curious to hear what our listeners think. Yeah, you guys, get in touch with us. Yeah, you can send us an email. Our address is fwthinking at howstuffworks.com. Or you can drop us a line on Facebook or Twitter. At Twitter, we're fwthinking. Over on Facebook, you can just search fwthinking. Our profile will pop up. Leave us a message there. And we will talk to you again really soon. For more on this topic and the future of technology, visit forwardthinking.com. Brought to you by Toyota. Let's go places. Thinking of popping the question? Diamonds Direct has an offer you can't miss. This month only, buy a natural diamond engagement ring of 1 carat plus and receive a free natural 1 carat diamond tennis bracelet valued at $2,000. Imagine giving her the ring of her dreams and her wedding gift all at once. No one provides education, selection, and value like Diamonds Direct. Your chance to get a free tennis bracelet from your friends at Diamonds Direct won't last long. Details at DiamondsDirect.com. Your new home journey starts at Fisher Homes, where everything is red, white, and new. Explore exclusive summer savings and start your journey by selecting your ideal home site and your dream community. Choose from a variety of expertly designed floor plans and bring your style to life at the Lifestyle Design Center. Are you looking for a quick move-in ready home instead? Fisher Homes has options for those, too. Fill out a form to connect with a new home advisor at fisherhomes.com to get started today before the sun sets on summer savings. Hey guys, back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck yeah! And some waves, so we could go surfing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I love that! A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in! Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it! Um, can a girl go shopping? Yeah, baby! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. This Father's Day, the Home Depot has the perfect gift to help dad be everything he can be. Because your dad is more than just a dad. He's the groundskeeper of the yard, the perfecter of the patio, and the cleaner of the clippings. This Father's Day, power dad's doing with the convenience and gas-like power of Milwaukee cordless outdoor tools from the Home Depot. Plus, get up to $150 off select Milwaukee tools. Find the perfect Father's Day gift at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. Shop for Father's Day now in stores or online at homedepot.com. Picasso knows your vacation home is your best home. It's the place that brings family and friends together. It's where you're the best version of yourself. Picasso makes it easy to co-own a luxury vacation home in amazing locations. Listings start at 200 k for one-eighth ownership. Picasso does all the work for you. Luxury furnishings, maintenance, billing, scheduling, and more. And you can resell on Picasso's Marketplace anytime, historically for a 10% gain. Visit Picasso to see thousands of listings. That's P-A-C-A-S-O dot com.